This is Retiring Today, the podcast that guides you to and through retirement. I'm Molly Nelson, host of the podcast here with Lauren Merkel. He's a certified financial planner, a certified financial fiduciary, and a retirement income certified professional. Today, we're talking about rethinking retirement because everything changes in retirement, including how you think about the legacy that you want to leave behind. Find out which three legacy planning documents are often overlooked and how to make sure all of your ducks are in a row when it comes to what happens to you, your retirement savings, and your possessions. Lauren, we have been doing this series on rethinking retirement, and what we've really been focusing on is that retirement is a mindset shift. It's a mindset shift because it's something that you have most likely not ever done before. And if you think about anything that you've done for the very first time, especially with something that is so different as not working, but still having an income coming in. And now you have all this free time that you get to literally do just about anything you want to do as, as long as it's within your financial uh, abilities. That is different and you've never gone through it before. So what steps should you be taking? What things should you be thinking, rethinking in order to make sure that you can have the best retirement experience that you can? Lauren, retirement is no different than some of the other big steps I've taken in my life. When I got married, I thought it was going to be one way, and it was different in good ways and, <laughs> and in bad hey, ways. let's keep going with that topic. <laughs> when I became a parent, I thought it was going to be one way, and it was different. Most definitely. When you buy a house for the first time, you think, oh, homeownership is going to be amazing, and it is on some levels, but then you find Until out. Until the roof starts to leak, <laughs> and then you realize there's $5,000 that I wasn't planning on. Where'd you get a $5,000 roof? Well, you know... Actually, I did just redo my roof about five years ago, and the whole roof was less than $6,000. So, it's you know, it's a small house, but oh. I was just thinking about a repair, not a full <laughs> roof remodel. We had the whole thing done really recently, and 5000 and we don't it, have a giant house by any yeah. means, but roofs are expensive. Very much so. So, like homeownership, like being married, like those big stages in life, you've never retired before. You have a vision of what it will be like, but once you get there, once you get close, it is definitely good in a lot of ways, but there's some stuff you just haven't thought about before. And I think legacy planning fits right into that, Lauren. So the best thing to do when we talk about legacy planning is make sure people understand what exactly legacy planning is. Think about when, when you pass away, everything that is left behind, what happens to those items? And we're talking about the physical items, uh, like your collectibles or even your furniture. We're talking about the non-physical items like your 401k plan or your IRA or your CDs at the bank. What about what's in your safety deposit box? Every single thing that is left behind when you pass, what happens to it? You do have a legacy, and it's just a matter of, of is your legacy going to be fulfilled with intention based on how you want those items to pass on to the next generation or charities? Or is it going to be left to something else like the state laws? And how does this work when you're helping people build a legacy as part of this comprehensive plan? Because I think about the conversations I have with uh, people in my life who are, who are getting into this retirement age, and we might talk about their possessions or talk about what happens, and they brush it off, like, I'll figure that out tomorrow, or don't worry about it. And, and those conversations don't go very well. But I think when you're talking about it in connection with all of the other stuff you do as part of the retirement plan, do, does it seem to go better? And that reaction is very common because I think most people shy away from 
from, yeah, let's talk about when I'm going to die. Molly, sure. Let's, let's get into an in-depth conversation about my last day on this world and then what's going to happen after that. And, and it's just not a very attractive conversation for most people. To, or a fun to, one, to, quite frankly. Yeah, from a conversation standpoint or to even think about. And so I think the legacy piece of the overall retirement plan is one of the, the last components that's put together because of that. And there's also a lot of uh, information that's not known. And so where do you, when you, even if you want to start thinking about how to leave the best legacy, where do you start with that? Uh, a lot of people are familiar with the will, the last will, but there's even a lot of misinformation and misthought around what the will will accomplish for you. So it, it's a very daunting thing uh, and it's not very attractive because we're talking and thinking about a time frame when you're no longer here. So today we want to help you rethink legacy planning. And really our goal is to help you get more ready for retirement. So if you, if you know what's coming, if you're ready to rethink legacy planning, I think you can put yourself in a better position for retirement. So let's go over some of the ways that people could be currently thinking about legacy planning, Lauren. One thing I think you hear often is that legacy planning is for the ultra wealthy. Sometimes we'll start the conversation with people uh, around their legacy plan and we'll ask them, what do you want your financial legacy to look like? And sometimes we do get the reaction, what legacy? I'm, I'm not going to worry about my legacy. I don't have a whole lot where, because people do have that thought process where I don't have a hundred million dollars. I'm not, uh, I don't know. I was trying to think of a famous celebrity who passed by. I'm yeah. not Prince, right? I don't have sure. $250 million. I don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. Uh, but almost every single person does have a legacy, whether that's your house, whether that's your vehicle, whether it's some, some meaningful collectibles that you have within your house, whatever that is, that is your legacy from a financial standpoint. Now it's a matter of what is going to happen to that, that legacy once you do pass. You do not have to have nine figures in your savings account in order to, to have a legacy. Another way that people might be thinking about legacy is I'm going to spend it all. I don't need to do any planning. There's two common thought processes around legacy planning, which, which is what we've encountered over the last 25 years that I've been helping people successfully retire. One thought process is I'm going to spend my last dollar on my last day. Some people tell me, they say, I'm going to bounce my very last check. Wow, they must be clairvoyant if yeah. they know when that last check is, come, is yeah, going to be that, written. That is typically my response is tell me when your last day is going to be. That plan will be a lot easier because very few people have the knowledge of when their last day is going to be. That's one mindset. The other mindset is I want to make sure that I leave a meaningful legacy to my children or my grandchildren or the charities that I'm passionate about. So those are the two prevailing mindsets. The problem with that is, though, is that if there's not a plan in place to spend your last dollar on your last day or bounce your last check or to mean leave this meaningful legacy, it becomes a very difficult task regardless. And what most people can't agree with when it comes to a legacy is that they've worked really hard to save what it is that they have. And whenever their last day does come, they do want to make sure that it is transitioned in the most efficient way possible and they can fulfill the wishes that they do have with whatever financial assets they have. So I'm hearing you say, even if you do want to spend your last dollar on your last day, you need a plan for that. That just doesn't happen by happenstance. Yeah, you need a plan and we're not going to know all the variables, right? We don't know exactly when your last day is, but there's a lot of things that you can control for whenever that last day does come into place that whatever is left over over goes where you want it to go. Another piece of this kind of current mindset that people might have is that I've got a will, I'm set. I think what we need to understand about a will is what 
actually does a will accomplish for us? Because one of the, as we go through questions about what do you actually want to accomplish with your legacy, one of the most common responses that we get is, well, I just want to make sure everything goes to my kids and they get it and it's easy for them. Uh, sometimes people will go through the experiences that, that the experiences that they had when their parents passed away and they'll, they'll say, it took us 12 13 months mm-hmm. just to take possession of whatever finance financial assets their parents had and they tell us they don't want their kids to go through that and so the will is a common vehicle that a lot of people have in place but when we talk about w- w- the way that their will is written a lot of times people will say well i haven't updated it since uh, Scotty was six years old. Sure, that's when they probably first set it up a lot of times, right? Yeah, that's that's exactly it, and they haven't thought about it really since. So the, the will may not be current, but even if it's current, there are some deficiencies within the overall will for a lot of people based on what a lot of people are trying to accomplish. As an example, anything that transitions to your kids or your loved ones through the will will go through what is called probate. And probate on the surface isn't a bad thing. Actually, the intentions are really good with probate because it's a legal process to make sure that the the wishes that you have put in your will are fulfilled. So that on the surface is a ver- very good thing. The, the deficiencies or some of the things that are not so attractive about items going through a will is that anything that goes through the will goes through probate, which can be more costly than assets transitioning outside of probate. Uh, in the state of Iowa, and every state has their different different laws, but in the state of Iowa, if your assets go through probate, then your estate has to hire an attorney, and that attorney can charge up to 2% of your inventoried assets. Your inventoried assets are basically everything that you have that's listed on this inventory page. The attorney can charge up to 2% of the value of those assets. So even if your IRA, $500,000 IRA, transitions via beneficiary, which means that that asset should bypass probate, that is inventoried on your inventory sheet, and the attorney could charge the 2% on even that $500,000 IRA. There's also court costs, and you can just assume about a 1% fee for the court costs. So you're looking at maybe a 3% fee on those inventoried assets just because you do have a probatable estate. And that's one of the, the disadvantages of just having a will in place in the state of Iowa is that most estates will go through the probate process. Okay, so we have for the current mindset that legacy planning is for the ultra-wealthy, I'm going to spend it all, and I've got a will, so I'm set. But are you ready to do some mindset shifting? Let's shift the mind. Okay, let's shift it into high gear, because what this is going to help you do is be ready for retirement. That's what we want to do with this podcast, and that's what we want to do with all of the information that we put out here. So here is mindset shift number one. We really don't want to mess with your mind. Of course, we would never do anything like that. We, we want to enhance the information going into your mind. So mindset shift number one, you need to know there is a plan for your stuff. There is a plan. The question is, is this your plan or is it somebody else's plan? When you pass and you do not have a will or you do not have a trust document that gives specific instructions about how things are going to pass to your loved ones or your charities, you die intestate. That sounds terrible. It sounds horrible. And in reality, sometimes it can be really bad. And when we're talking with families who have gone through their parents passing away, sometimes this is the experience that they live through where their parents didn't have a will, their parents didn't have a trust, so they're 
their estate got transitioned through intestate, which means it, it passes through the laws of the state that that individual or couple died in. And is that when all of this probate stuff comes into play that well, you were talking about earlier? Well, probate can come, this, this, when you pass intestate, that definitely means probates come into place, but you can also go through probate if you have a will in place also. So probate is just a legal process to make sure that things take place the way they need to take place. That's typically a trust, right? Well, yeah. One of the most common ways you can avoid probate is to incorporate a living revocable trust. And just as the name refers to, it is revocable and you are creating it while you're alive. So you can change this trust anytime you want to. Typically, you're going to be the trustee while you're alive. And then once you pass, you have assigned successor trustees that are then going to be there to make sure that whatever wishes you put into your trust are going to be fulfilled, which means because you have made these specific requests, requirements within the trust, that you don't need the state courts to do that for you. So you can bypass probate, bypass the state court process, and allow your successor trustees to fulfill the wishes that you've outlined in the trust. That term also, though, think, makes me think of the ultra-wealthy. Is there some kind of minimum amount of assets you have to have for a trust? M- most attorneys are going to say somewhere around 250000 to 500000 but that, that does vary. It varies by state, and, and the state of Iowa does have some goofy trust or estate planning laws where they say if your probatable estate is north of $50,000, then your estate, your your entire inventoried assets could be assessed the two or the three percent cost. So some people are looking for the most efficient way to transfer their assets, which means decreasing the transitional expenses. One way to do that would be make sure that your probatable estate is less than fifty thousand dollars. And we're talking about two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. That does that include your home that, and only if it's paid off or if even if it's not paid off? Yeah, that includes your home, the, the market value or the assessed value of your home. Uh, whatever value they can tie to your home is the value they're going to use, regardless of whether you have a mortgage on it. They're also going to include the vehicles, regardless of whether or not you have a loan on the vehicles. Uh, they're going to include the value of those those vehicles. So my point being, it wouldn't be that difficult to get to two hundred fifty thousand for most people when you include your car and your homes. Or it wouldn't home get, be that difficult to get to the fifty thousand dollars for most people to make the inventoried assets accessible from. The from the fee standpoint, which is why you really have to be intentional and think this out and incorporate. Make sure you have a qualified estate planning attorney on your team to help you digest all of this information and make sure you have whatever legal documents you're going to need to to be in place and then make sure they're updated. Yeah. And how do you know if it's a qualified estate planning attorney? There are a lot of attorneys out there and I suspect that some will say, yeah, I can do that type of a document for you. Yeah, that's exactly how that happens. If you look at most attorneys' websites, they're going to list out all these different things that they do. And a part of what they do or list out is estate planning or wills and trusts and that kind of thing. But it isn't necessarily something that they specialize in. So in your interview with your attorney, ask them about what kind of law they engage in most frequently. What Where's their specialty? And if it's estate planning um, and they can produce something that will verify that that's actually their specialty, then that is a good start. If they focus on on family law or something like that, and they just do trusts and wills on the side, then you probably want to go somewhere else. And for the families that we work with, we have an experience with many attorneys in this area. So we will, if they don't have an attorney that they have worked with in the past or that they trust, 
trust, we will refer them to multiple attorneys and then they can interview them from there. But at least they know on the surface that they do specialize in estate planning and that they've worked with a lot of people and, and do good work. So you might be wondering, is a will or a trust right for me? How do I make that decision? You could talk to a retirement planner about it. You can schedule a 15-minute retirement checkup call right now. There's a link in the show notes, but that website is MerkleRetire.com. There's a calendar there. You just pick a time and a date that works for you. And Lauren, these 15-minute retirement checkup calls, do people need to have any documents uh, in front of them when they call, or or how, how do the calls work? No, these calls are very simple for you to engage in, not only signing up for them, but also the conversation itself. There's things that you're thinking about right now that are retirement-related, whether it's setting up, what does a will do for you? What does a trust do for you? Do you need those types of documents? Any of the other documents we're going to talk about in this podcast, there's things you're already thinking about. That's what you need to bring to those calls, and we'll walk through it specific to your case and try to direct you anywhere that's appropriate for you to accomplish what it is that you're trying to accomplish. So there's not a lot of preparation that you need to put into it. You've already been thinking about this stuff. Just bring it to the phone and we'll talk through it. And you spend 15 or so, sometimes a little bit more, minutes talking to people about this stuff. How do they feel at the end of the call versus the beginning? At 15 to 20 minutes, it gets them on their start, right? One is we can answer any questions that we can within a short period of time. That's helpful. But also we can typically point you in a direction of what's next. Uh, What most people need as they enter retirement or as they're thinking about that transition is a comprehensive retirement roadmap. What does that look like for you? And how do you go about starting to build that custom map for you? Mindset shift number two, plan now for loved one's future. And this is where we're going to talk about those three often overlooked legacy planning documents. And the first one, Lauren, is medical power of attorney. The medical power of attorney is important because what happens if you become incapacitated and you can no longer make medical decisions for yourself? Uh, I think or I feel better knowing that there's a loved one who cares about me, who knows me, who understands what my wishes are, that is there to make decisions when I can't make those decisions. And that's what a medical power of attorney does is it really puts in law in writing, this is who you trust. Uh, There's oftentimes your wishes spelled out in this document. So uh, that individual who now is in charge of making your decisions does have some direction as far it written direction as far as what you want to have happen in the event that you are no longer able to make medical decisions for yourself. And do you make this recommendation for both those that are married and those that are not? Yeah, oftentimes people are going to list their spouse in in that document as their direct medical power of attorney. But you can also list somebody else in the instance that your spouse passes or maybe you guys are traveling to together and you both become incapacitated, right? Basically, it's a backup plan to your spouse. Or on a rare occasion, some people don't want to list their spouse. And there's there's really valid reasons for that. Maybe they feel like their spouse is going to be too emotional uh, in, in that decision. Maybe they don't want to put that pressure on their spouse uh, and their spouse is going to Uh, be grieving or helping with the care or whatever that is. So it's not a default that you would want to have your spouse on as medical power of attorney, although many people do. Well, I think I've heard uh, Charlie Bottenberg, a state planning attorney, say sometimes there is a child in the family who is in the medical or healthcare profession. So sometimes they give them that choice because they'll have the most medical knowledge to to make that decision. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, take my family uh, as an example. Uh, Both of my parents are still alive. And my sister is very knowledgeable in the healthcare field. She's been in the healthcare field for the last 35 years. Uh, and I'm pretty sure my mom has her as sure. medical power of attorney as opposed to my dad. Yeah. 
when my mom just went through surgery, uh, she wanted to make sure that my sister was there uh, to take care of all the, the, the decisions that needed to go along with that surgery. My dad was also there, but he was not there to make those decisions or consume that information directly from the doctor. That's what my sister was for. So that, that, uh, that can happen as well. Yeah. And as a sibling, you weren't really offended by that. You completely understood why she made that decision. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was there too. Yeah. Uh, but my sister has the intimate knowledge in the medical field and absolutely she was the best one for that situation. So the medical power of attorney and often overlooked document. The next one we want to talk about is the financial power of attorney. And the concept is the same where this is somebody who you trust, uh, who's there to make decisions, financial decisions for you when you become incapacitated and you can no longer make financial decisions for yourself. Uh, same, same line of thinking applies. So if you're married, uh, many people will have their spouse as that uh, first person, but there's also reasons why you may not. If there's somebody financially savvy in your family, you might want to have them take the lead with your financial power of attorney. So if you give someone financial power of attorney, what exactly can they do on your behalf? There's different levels of financial power of attorney. Um, Most of them, they're going to allow them to write checks on your behalf, pay your bills, uh, make distributions from uh, IRA accounts or retirement accounts, make investment decisions on your different IRAs or investment accounts. Uh, Most power powers of attorney, financial powers of attorney are not going to allow them to change beneficiaries, but you can set it up where they can change beneficiaries if you want them to have that power. That is a conversation you would want to have with your estate planning attorney, and based on your family dynamic and based on what you're trying to accomplish, you would want to make that decision one way or the other. And the last often overlooked document in this legacy planning uh, conversation is the revocable trust. Lauren, you talked about that a lot, but is there anything else you wanted to add uh, on the power or, or the the advantage of a revocable tw- trust? When, when you go to talk to your attorney, what the most important part of this conversation is just to express to your attorney what it is that you're trying to accomplish in the most layman terms that you can, right? The way that you think about it, you have a vehicle, you pass away, where do you want that vehicle to go? You have a house, you pass away, who do you want to take possession of the house or do you want it sold off and the proceeds split up, right? Think about it in those kind of terms, express those, that information to your attorney. And then your attorney can assess, does it make sense for you to have a, a living revocable trust or not? Uh, should, what kind of language should go into that trust? Uh, are you, is your main goal to avoid probate and have things transition the most efficient way? Or do you want to put some control around when your kids receive these assets, right? You got a 20-year-old Johnny, and you're worried if you pass away and leave your 20-year-old Johnny a million dollars that Johnny's not going to make the best decision. So within the trust document, you can say, well, Johnny, when you're 25, you can receive 100000 When you're 30, you can receive 200000 right? You can stipulate just about anything you want to in that. So if there's some con- some control mechanisms you want to put in it, that's something that you'd want to express to your, your attorney. And then through those conversations with your estate planning attorney, you can identify, do you need a trust? What should that trust look like? What is some of the specific language that should be in that trust? And then how do you use it within your overall legacy plan? And I've heard Charlie also say that this gets really important sometimes for people with blended families 
that they want to be very specific about who does and who does not uh, get get their retirement savings or their assets. Yeah, any more blended families are are more common than traditional families, and it is a conversation. A lot of times, when when we are introduced to a fam, a blended family, and we're talking through the legacy plan, they have not really had that conversation before. They've thought about it. Each one of them have thought about what they want to have happen to their portion of the assets if they were to pass, but that conversation really hasn't taken place. So they, that can lead to some awkward moments. Right. <laughs> uh, but that's okay because it's better that those conversations do happen prior to one of those two passing away because – 99% of the time, they haven't put any documents in place to make sure what they want to have happen is going to happen. Well, and what it boils down is to is you don't want to leave it to chance. You don't want to leave the money you've worked so hard for and the, the possessions you've worked hard for to chance when you're gone. You don't want to leave it to a chance and you don't want to leave it to a fight either. Because if you two are not on the same page when you're both alive... That is going to leave a lot of opportunity for chaos when one of you or even both of you pass away. And so you want to take as much of that chaos opportunity out of the picture as you can. So come to some kind of an agreement while you're alive and then make sure that those legal documents are in place. Let's talk about one more document. And I think this is pretty neat because this is what you help uh, the individuals and the families that we work with put together. And it's kind of uh, some important things in a legacy binder. So anybody listening could could put these documents together. Uh, and what kind of things do you recommend that people have in one spot where uh, loved ones or trusted friends can get to if, A, they become capacit incapacitated or, or die? Well, any of the documents that we've talked about already, this is a great one-stop shop for all those types of documents. So your powers of attorney, if you have a trust, have a copy of the trust. If you have a will, have a copy of the will. But then there's some of these things that you don't traditionally think about that just create more chaos when you pass away if they're not readily available. One of those would be investment statements. So if you have 10 different investment accounts at three different custodians, uh, we've seen this real time where the loved ones who are left behind are trying to sort through what statements are still valid, right? What investment accounts are still valid based on statements they might have found from 10 years ago? Uh, what, what investment accounts are not still valid, right? Just this maze of of going down these different lines of what, what could be or what could not be there. So anything that's current, and if you just have a one-pager of here's the investment accounts, and make sure you date it, right, as of this date, here's all the different investment accounts you have, here's, here's where they're at in uh, the approximate amount, then that is a good place to start. And if you update that once a year, then that would be extremely beneficial. And if you have a copy of a statement, a most recent statement, or, or the most... Uh, annual, most recent annual statement and put it in there, that, that's helpful as well. Emergency contacts of who should somebody, if they find this legal binder or this, this legacy binder, who should they be contacting? Uh, if you have siblings or parents or other loved ones, um, professionals, whether you have an advisor or an estate planning attorney, CPA, all of these people will want to know if you've passed because there's action items that they have to uh, take, there's steps that they have to take when you do pass. Uh, passwords, uh, and be careful with this one because you may not want to list out all of your passwords and usernames in this in this legacy binder, but at least how to access it, right? If you use technology to uh, code your passwords, how what is whatever is the best way to access your passwords, 
Because it is extremely difficult if you have an account at Vanguard and somebody's trying to log on to make decisions on your Vanguard account. If you've passed or you're incapacitated, if that stuff is not already in place, it just makes it that much that much harder. Yeah, when you said something about the financial power of attorney, that did make me think of that uh, someone paying your bills uh, for you while you're incapacitated. I mean, that generally requires logging on to to some kind of an account, simply checkings is lined up with your mortgage and your credit cards and all that. But what a nightmare, even for the person who's financial power of attorney, if they don't know where to start. Yeah, it's not as easy as just stopping in at the bank anymore and uh, handling all through one central location that's in person. A lot of times it does happen online. So if they don't have access to that information or at least access to find that information in a in an easy way, it can it can be that much harder if something does happen to you, whether you're incapacitated and alive or you pass away and then they need to facilitate change on those different accounts. And a couple of other things that you could include in this legacy binder, if you've got a safety deposit box, that'd be a good thing for people to know about. And if you've done any advanced planning on a funeral or have funeral wishes. That's more more common, and we have conversations about should you do some advanced funeral planning. Uh, but a lot of people are actually coming to us and saying we want to do funeral advanced funeral planning. What does that look like? Uh, so any plans that you put in place for a funeral, whether it's prepaid or you just know what it is that you want to have happen when you pass, having this in that legacy binder is extremely beneficial. Also, so if you didn't have a piece of paper or you weren't able to write that down in your phone or or somewhere, don't worry you can talk directly to a retirement planner about those documents we were just talking about the three often overlooked documents and some of the things you can have in your legacy binder you can schedule a 15-minute retirement checkup call right now by going to MerkleRetire.com. That's M-E-R-K-L-E, retire.com. Or just use this, the link that you'll find in the show notes. There you'll find a calendar. You can pick a time and a date that works for you. And you can ask questions about any of the things that we've been talking about today in the podcast. This is Retiring Today, and we thank you for listening. Merkle Retirement Planning is an independent financial services firm helping individuals create retirement strategies using a variety of investments and insurance products to custom suit their goals and objectives. Any information discussed in these shows is for educational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. Investment advisory services are offered through Elite Retirement Planning, LLC. Insurance services are offered through MRP Insurance, LLC.